Welcome to The Institute, a podcast on the lives and work of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth. In this episode, Sophia Ramos talks with history professor and director of Carolina Public Humanities, Lloyd Kramer. As a 2018 George Johnson Prize Award recipient, Dr. Kramer reflects on his time spent at the IAH, as well as his prolific work in the humanities throughout the years. Hi, Lloyd. Hi, Sophia. Thank you so much for coming here this afternoon. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I always love to be at the IAH. Yeah, we're really excited. And I guess it's kind of just, I want to say congratulations, first of all. So you're the 2018 George Johnson Prize recipient. Um, How does that feel? What does that mean to you? Well, it is a great honor to receive that prize um, for a couple of reasons. One, just because George Johnson is someone I greatly respect and I appreciate what he does for the university and for the IAH and for the faculty at UNC. Uh, He's always understood the mission of the IAH and the role of the faculty in the university and, and as teachers and researchers. So receiving an award that's named for George is great. And also, he's just a great person. He tells great stories. He's got a great sense of humor. Yeah. So to have my name connected to George Johnson is a, is a personal honor. Yeah. But more generally, I would say that having this recognition of my work in the humanities over many years is, is an honor that really humbles me because I, I feel like I've just tried to do what I can to... Um, serve the uh, students of the university and be engaged with the the community of the university and to receive this recognition for my work as a humanist it it means more to me i think than than any award i could describe because it it honors what i care about most deeply mm-hmm. and also because i see it not only as an honor for myself but as a way of recognizing and honoring the whole community of humanists and people who care about the humanities and the arts at, at UNC and, and the role that community plays in our university and in the state. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, we had the award in reception for you um, earlier in November, um, which was really exciting to be a part of. Um, and one part that I took away that was really interesting, and I know a lot of us that actually work here at the IH thought was really interesting, was how you referred to the Institute as a movable feast. And I wanted to see if you could kind of chat on that again and kind of explain that kind of comparison, because I thought it was pretty cool. Well. That term I drew from uh, Ernest Hemingway's memoir about Paris in the 1920s, A Movable Feast. And I have read that book several times over the years, partly with students who love to read about Paris in the 1920s. But what I I liked about the book was that it, it suggests that living in Paris at a certain time in his youth had had shaped him and then stayed with him for his whole life. And that he says something like, you know, if you were fortunate enough to have lived in Paris as a young person, then uh, it stays with you forever because Paris is a movable feast. So I liked that metaphor when I thought about my own experience at UNC and particularly at the IAH because I, I first came to the IAH when I was an assistant professor. I think I was just into my third year at uh, Carolina. And... I sat around the table. It was over in that little house called West House, which is now gone. Mm -hmm. It was a small room, but I always said it was a small room filled with uh, wise people and big ideas because that's what it was. 
And it was a movable feast for me in that we had great meals there and we had uh, discussions about the humanities. We talked about all kinds of issues in, in the arts and in literature and history. And I met lots of people who were supporters of the IAH, alumni, friends. And I got to know Rule Tyson very well and Mary Flanagan, who I worked with closely there. But the reason I used the metaphor of a movable feast was that after I left the IAH in later years, I carried with me what I had learned sitting around that table mm -hmm. and, and sharing meals. So sometimes it literally was a feast. We yeah. had great meals. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but more generally, it was a feast of ideas and of experiences and of a way of being in the world where you listen to people, you engage their ideas, you carry with you certain uh, forms of knowledge and experience that the humanities provide, and you can carry it wherever you go. So it's a movable feast. And I feel that it gave me a foundation that I have continued to build on in all of my later experiences at Carolina. Even though I've always been linked to the IH in some way, once a fellow, always a fellow. Definitely. But I've been uh, chair of the history department, and now I'm the director of Carolina Public Humanities. And these are different kinds of positions, but they require many of the same uh, skills and experiences that were part of my life at the IAH. So it's truly a movable feast. Yeah. And, and think about this. Every relationship we have, you know, that's why I love the metaphor. It stays with you, you know, like people you knew a long time ago. Some of the people I knew at the IAH, they're not even living anymore. <laughs> but it, they're still with me in some way. Mm -hmm. Or people I was close to at that time who were no longer at the university. So it, I loved the thought of the IAH as a movable feast, partly because we love to eat. Yes, But more generally because we carry with us our knowledge and experiences wherever we go. Yeah. Definitely. That's fantastic. I think, you know, we definitely carry that value, too, um, even, uh, you know, in our mission statement of just creating community is just one of the, our big principles here and kind of just surrounding, getting around that table, talking and kind of, you know, keeping on, t like, touching back and kind of making sure people are still a part of this community, even, even if they're not a current fellow or, yeah. you know, still not maybe here at Carolina, but trying to, you know, keep that community open. I think it's something really important to us. So I, I think that's one of the great contributions that the IAH has made over the last 30 years. Um, we live in this huge university, and people are very preoccupied with their own um, research or their own concerns, their own committee meetings, <laughs> whatever they're doing. And to have a place where there is some discussion of, I might say, the greater good or the greater mission of the university, the enduring purpose of the university, um, that is incredibly valuable. And it's a way of affirming you know, the importance of community, particularly in a society like we live in, where individual achievement is, is or individual fame or individual glory gets all of the, the press in a way. Mm -hmm. but. What sustains every one of us as teachers and as researchers and as, as scholars, as thinkers, is that we're part of a community. And that's why the IAH is a movable feast. 
And I wanted to kind of talk about your current experience right now as you know director of the Carolina Public Humanities. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really exciting to see your team there too uh, at your award and reception. And I just wanted to talk about your work there in the humanities and um, what do you, how do you think that maybe intersects or aligns with what we do at the institute, especially mm-hmm. since you're familiar with both? So Carolina Public Humanities also has a long history. It was founded about 40 years ago, 1979, and it has the mission of connecting the faculty and community on the campus of UNC with people outside the university. And it extends all across the state. We have programs for high school teachers uh, who want to bring new materials into their classes. We have programs at community colleges. We have programs at bookstores and museums and, and libraries and theaters. And always the purpose of these programs is to generate a conversation just like around the table mm-hmm. at the IH. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes these conversations are fairly small. There might be 15 people in a book group at a bookstore having a conversation about an important book. Other times it may be a, a talk in, a, in an auditorium with 90 or 100 people. But Carolina Public Humanities insists that the humanities are essential for the building of communities, to use that term again, and for the um, development of identities, for the sense of coping with the challenges that people feel in their lives, Mm -hmm. and that the humanities are essential for a democratic political culture. And so Carolina Public Humanities is an extension of what I did at the IAH. In fact, many of our speakers are IAH fellows (laughs) or current or former fellows or people who've done research here and written a book, and then they come and give a talk that, that draws on that work. Um, but our, our underlying theme is that the humanities and public conversations are as important for the health of North Carolina as, as the, what they do at the School of Public Health here at UNC or in the medical school, that you cannot have a healthy community if people do not have spaces in which they can exchange ideas, listen to other people, engage with people of different cultures and historical backgrounds and religions, that the survival of the state itself depends on a vibrant community of humanists talking with each other, and especially for those of us in the university, uh, people talking with those outside the university about why ideas matter. Yeah. So I, I see the my work at Carolina Public Humanities as sort of a, a, a logical progression out of what I did in my earlier years uh, when I was associate director at the Institute for the Arts and Humanities. I worked very closely with Rule Tyson, you know, our founding director, <clears throat> and Rule and I went on the road a lot. Mm. We called it, you know, humanities on the road. I can't remember what we called it. Maybe the, we would have like an evening soiree or a salon, and I, I assume this continues now. But we would engage people about all kinds of issues, like what is the meaning of friendship or do you think people can can participate in democratic society if they don't know about history or do you think that money is more important than spiritual life in terms of happiness or what is the meaning of success? These were great conversations. And what I learned is that people of every background and profession love to talk about their own lives and anxieties and concerns. So Carolina Public Humanities is for me an extension of what I learned 
at the IH and what we cared about at the IH and how the humanities can reshape the life of a community. You came to Carolina, you were first an assistant professor, I think, in late 80s, mm -hmm. correct? What made you want to start in history or the humanities or come here or kind of what's that backstory? I don't, I don't think I've... How did I get into it in the first place? <laughs> yeah. Long ago? <clears throat> the history of my interest in history, you might say. Um, well, you know, I, I got very interested in history when I was when I was young, even in high school and college, because I I was involved in a, in a period when there was a lot of turmoil in the country, and I was in college in the late 1960s. So, and we were trying to make sense of of the Vietnam War, of um, the civil rights movement, of political conflicts. And I found like that no matter what the issue was that I was trying to understand, that historical perspectives and historical knowledge gave me some kind of perspective or even some kind of power over my own relationship to what was going on. That, that I, I see historical study as very empowering because if you don't know where things came from, where problems came from, where the conflicts of our own culture came from, in a sense you're helpless you have no way of dealing with it. You, you have no way of confronting it or analyzing it. And what I loved about history was that you could study any issue in the world, whether it be music or science or warfare or religion or politics or philosophy. No matter what the issue, it had a history. So I became a historian because I could never settle on one single subject as the only thing I wanted to study. Yeah. And I loved it. And I was fortunate then... Um, I ended up studying at Cornell in a PhD program, and I taught at a couple of other places. And then I came here um, over 30 years ago, and I just felt connected to this community from early on. And I never regretted being at UNC. I was very fortunate to get a job here. You know, it was just a fluke in a way, I guess, but it happened. <laughs> they offered me a job. Right. <laughs> and now, and you're here, here I am. Here you are. Yes, it's all so history maybe, now. Yeah, it's all history uh, now. And probably not a fluke. No, the, the great thing about the IAH was that although I loved history and I was embedded in the historical discipline, the IAH connected me with people in all of these other disciplines, including English literature or philosophy or political science. And so it deeply uh, enriched my understanding of history by encountering people from other disciplinary backgrounds and perspectives. So I, I remained a historian. I still feel an identity as a historian. But I became a historian who was much more connected with an interdisciplinary conversation. We ask typically everyone on this podcast, what is a book that changed our life? A book that changed my life. Well, that, that is a challenging question because I, I read a lot of books at different times that had a big impact on me. But um, you know, to go back to when I became interested in the humanities and history, I was talking about that period when I was in college and shortly after that, and I was involved in politics and many other things. But I was very influenced by existential philosophy and the writers who expressed that. And one of the books I particularly remember was Albert Camus' book, The Plague, which describes a doctor who fights against the plague. And even though it's a very difficult and often hopeless task, he defines himself by his actions, you know, that you are what you do. You can't just say, I'm against the plague. You have to get out there and 
do something. And I read that along with um, an essay by uh, Sartre, Existentialism is a Humanism, which a lot of people engaged at that time. And it helped me understand philosophically why we define ourselves or how we define ourselves by our actions, that you are what you do. You can't say, you know, I'm a historian if you never wrote about any history <laughs> or engaged in any historical knowledge. Or you can't say, you know, I'm against war if you never did anything to stand against it. And existentialism as defined by Camus and Sartre in that era was very influential in helping me think about how I wanted to define my life by a set of values and ideas, but that those ideas and values would only have meaning if I could take action in the communities where I lived. Mm -hmm. So to link it back to the IAH, the IAH became a community in which I could take certain actions that embodied and expressed my commitments to somehow enhancing the lives of people around me, somehow facilitating the work of others, and also in my own way, whatever I could do to make the community in which I lived a better place. So I would say that's a very distant echo of existentialism and the great writers of the existential moment, I mean, going back to Kierkegaard and others too, about how you are what you do, and if you don't do something, you can never make a difference. Fantastic. I think that makes so sense. that's why I care about the humanities. <laughs> I feel, you know, it's a great privilege to be able to read about and talk about great humanistic writers. And when we hit the wall, as we all do, and as we live through such a difficult time as we do, it is so reassuring to read the great writers and artists and humanists who have confronted every aspect of the life we're also confronting. So thanks to the IAH. And let me just say one more thing about this, and thanks to George Johnson for being such a great friend of the IAH. And receiving this honor is really, for me, a meaningful and uh, important experience, and something I'll never forget. Thank you. Well deserved. Definitely well deserved. Lloyd, it's been a pleasure. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Check back at iah.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IAH underscore UNC.